Morning, everyone. Happy birthday, Toppy. Um, uh, we're going to be looking today in 1 John chapter 5. Uh, so that's the last chapter of 1 John, uh, which we've spent this summer looking at. And just as you turn there, as we were worshipping, uh, I was just asking the Lord if there was anything that he wanted to show and do uh, by the Spirit. And I just felt a couple of words. The first is I felt there's someone sitting in this kind of central section here. You have uh, pain in your ribs. So you might have bruised ribs or you've recently had a broken, fractured rib. Um, I'd love to pray for you at the end of the meeting. I feel God wants to uh, heal you, take away your pain. Um, the second thing is, I felt there's someone here today, and um, seagulls are really important to you. I don't know if you've got a seagull tattoo, or um, like your name means seagull, but there's something about you and seagulls, and um, I actually really feel that uh, you feel lost, and you feel like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be in Reading, I feel really lost. I feel God wants to speak to you today. Please, I, I feel like I've got a word from the Lord for you. Please come find me at the end of the meeting here. I'm not going to go home until you find me. And I like my lunch. So <laughs> don't delay. Come and find me so I can share with you. Okay? Um, 1 John chapter 5, uh, from verse 6 to verse 15. Uh, we're going to go through this kind of verse by verse and look at it. And what John's doing here, he's, he's done his letter. This is the end. He's coming to the end. And he's going to hammer loads of our big life questions in a few small verses. So I don't know if you ever think about these kind of things. What is the meaning of the life, the universe, and everything? What happens when we die? What is a good person? Can someone really change? If someone has hurt you in the past, is it possible to get over that pain? Is it possible to forgive them? What, what is it that gives us the things that we're really looking for, whether that's happiness or identity or security or safety or rest? And are those the things we're supposed to be looking for or are we supposed to be looking for something else? And so all these kind of big questions that spin around, can I really change? Can I really be free of this addiction? We're going to find, guys, this morning the answer to all of this, all right, in a few verses. Can you imagine that? And, um, but it takes a little bit of time. John is writing. He kind of builds a picture, builds a picture, builds a picture, and you're thinking, this doesn't make any sense, and then he lands it all for us. So there's a little bit of jeopardy, a little bit of suspense in, in this morning's verses, okay, as we go through. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to read these verses together, explore what they mean, and we're asking God to help us deep inside ourselves with the big questions that we wrestle with, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Thousands of years old, people all around the world reading it in their own languages. People all around the world gathered this morning. Father, I wonder how many other churches this morning are looking at this, this exact passage of Scripture. Lord, it's so exciting to sit under the tradition and the authority of your word. And um, we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you be our teacher. You know our questions. You know our pain. 
You know the things that make us spin, that keep us up at nights, that cause us pain. You know it all. There is an answer. And I pray this morning that each one of us feels the truth of that answer deep inside ourselves. So come and teach us, I pray, Lord. Amen. 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 So 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. So imagine a trial, a court scene, and you've got a he said, she said situation. I was actually helping some friends who'd had a falling out a couple of weeks ago. And basically, he says one thing, and he says completely the other. And there were no witnesses, so I don't know who's telling the truth. Because they're literally saying, I did that, and he's saying, no, he didn't do that. So who's telling the truth? No witnesses. But in this courtroom, as we're wondering what is true, there are three witnesses, John tells us, that walk in, and they all give their testimony, and they all say exactly the same thing. So it really settles us down. Oh, you're saying that, and you're saying that, and the third witness is saying the same thing. So John's saying there's three witnesses, and they all agree. He's trying to go so we can feel confident about what I'm about to tell you. And I don't know about you, there's so much in life of he said, she said. You know, you read, you, you read different news apps, they tell you different things. So which one's right? So many of our, I, I, I love our millennials, our young people. A lot of them talk about living my truth because they're going, there isn't a truth because it depends who's telling you the truth, but I'm going to live my truth, you know, what, what feels right to me. And um, everyone's got a different perspective, different opinion. And John says, okay, I'm about to tell you something really true, and there are three different witnesses, and they're all going to confirm it so you can feel confident, okay? The first is the water. He says the first witness is water. Now, that seems really weird to us. We thought it was going to be a person. But, you know, John, he's a poet. He loves symbolism. And he's like, the first witness is water. <laughs> and, um, but he says... This is he who came by water. He's talking about Jesus. What does he mean, Jesus came by water? Well, water is a symbol for birth. In the ancient world, people understood when a baby's born, a baby's born with a gushing out of water. You know, the waters break. Out comes the water. Out comes the baby. Whoosh, pop. Just like that. It's that easy, isn't it? I've got four. Um, <laughs> In John's time, babies were often born in houses, not locked away in a maternity ward somewhere. So everybody saw it. Everybody saw babies are born with lots of mess and muck and water. And so Jesus came by water means Jesus was born as a human. He went through the experience that all of us have been through, that traumatic moment where you leave the safety of the womb and you go for the long journey down the birth canal and you pop out into the scary world and you go, no! And then you go back in, and then the labor carries on for another 10 minutes. But birth is really traumatic and terrifying. And we all went through it. And it says, Jesus came by water. He was born the same as all of us. Says, and identifying immediately, resonating. And when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about a disembodied philosophy. 
We're not talking about a mantra. We're not talking about 12 rules of life. We're talking about a person, a story, a real place in history, a real time in history. Someone was born by water onto a stable floor, and his name is Jesus. We're talking about God himself entering our world. And so that's why John, in another place, he writes, the word became flesh and lived among us. He said the word, it's not just a principle, not just an idea. Actually, the word became flesh. It became something real that people could touch and experience and encounter, and his name is Jesus. So he came by water. That's the first witness in the courtroom, the birth of Jesus. The second is the blood. He came by water and blood. And what does the blood mean? The death of Jesus on the cross. The death of Jesus, the innocent for the guilty, cut off in his prime, unjustly sentenced, tortured, humiliated, made an example of. The death of Jesus. Day becomes night, the ground shakes, the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom, alone, abandoned, hanging there on the cross on a hillside for everyone to see the life draining out of him with his blood over a period of several hours until the last bit of oxygen leaves his lungs and he dies. The blood. John says the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus, these two crunchy, real, historical moments testify in the court, tell us about something that is true. You want to know something's true? Look at these two things that happened. They will tell you something about life, about history, about God, about the meaning of it all. And then he says, there's a third witness as well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And for the disciples, and John was one of them because he was there, the outpouring of the Spirit was also a moment, an event, a real historical thing. They were together in a certain house, in a certain city, at a certain time, the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit is given and poured out, and they all experience, you were there, I was there, we felt it. And so the Holy Spirit is also this real, crunchy, historical moment of experience when God comes into the world to all people, despite language, culture, background, rich, poor, heritage, the Holy Spirit given as a gift by God, entering into human experience to all people in this moment. So these three clear moments, the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the giving of the Spirit, are the most important moments in the human story and in history. At school, depending where you went to school, they'll tell you these are certain moments that change the history of the world. Okay, where I went to school in Cyprus, it was 1453, the most important moment in history when the Turks took Constantinople from the Greeks. And the Greeks have hated them ever since, right? It may have been the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand in 1914 that triggered World War I. It may be 9-11 and the Twin Towers in Manhattan. People from different perspectives will say these are the most important moments in history that changed the story of the world. John here is saying... These are the three most important moments. These are the things that change the story of the world and the meaning of life. The birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Ben Witherington, he says this, 
Thus, the three great witnesses here are the birth and death of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. These are the things that most confirm God's love and activity in the world and for believers. Jesus came to the world through his birth and through his death, and he comes now into the world through the Spirit. In the Jewish world, you read in your Bible, everything had to be established by the testimony of two witnesses. One was never enough. We've got three, okay? Next verse, 1 John 5, 9. He's building to something. He says, we've got three witnesses. So what? What are they going to tell us about? We don't know yet. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he's born concerning his son. He makes a, a simple but a wonderful point here. He says, you believe what other people say about the world, the testimony of men. Well, then why don't you believe the testimony of God? Because it's greater. So I don't know where you got what you believe about the world from. Uh, you might have got it from human learning. Uh, so science, that we're all here because of a big bang. Uh, our historians, that history is a long march towards freedom and progress and democracy. Do you believe that? You might believe what your authority figures told you, because that can be very powerful in our lives, what your parents told you, what your grandparents told you, uh, a teacher that you really respected. That's where we often get our deeply held values. These are the things that are really important. You know, your dad sits you down, my son, save your money, <laughs> or be hospitable, or don't trust that kind of person. You know, whatever it is that, you were, that was put into you growing up, you might believe what your news feed tells you. Thin is beautiful. Fresh creps maketh man. Um, it's all about the trainers. Money is freedom. Uh, what other people think about you really matters. Uh, one of the things I love about our millennials and the postmodern idea is that there's a suspicion of traditional authorities. People don't just watch the BBC and believe it. They're like... Let me also watch Al Jazeera, see what they're saying. I, I, I like that, right? Um, a questioning of big things. The irony for our millennials is that you uncritically consume everything that your algorithm gives you, um, which I find, you know, you need to question that as well sometimes. Just because TikTok said it don't mean it's right, okay? So John says something simple and profound here. He says, you believe the testimony of man in all these different forms. Why don't you believe the testimony of God? about what matters and what's important and what is valuable about you and the world and society and history and where it's all going and what it all means. And then finally, he comes to the point. <laughs> what is the testimony? What, is the, you know, what are you building to, John? You know, we've got to the end of this letter. Hurry up. <laughs> you know. um, he says, actually, what this testimony is about is what God says about Jesus. And you're like, hang on. I thought it was going to be a bit more profound than that. <laughs> I thought it was going to be about me. <laughs> like, you know, what does God say about me? Surely that's the center of everything. It, actually, you, you can imagine your courtroom, and there's this, they give up their testimony, and there's this big unveiling, and out into the middle comes Jesus. And everything points at him. And you go, who has been woven all the way through the fabric of history in every nation since the beginning of time. It's Jesus. 
Who is the goal that everything's flowing towards, like the way a river eventually meets the sea? It's Jesus, who reigns outside of time over everything and watches everything, and everything is through him and for him. It's Jesus. And so we find out, and it might be a little simplistic or a little disappointing, or maybe you were waiting for something a bit more dramatic and sham-bam-wow. The meaning of everything is this person, Jesus. That's what it says here. This is God's testimony about his son. Here he is. And John gets there right at the end, all the way through the letter. We've been hearing God is this, God is this, God is, you know, God is light, God is love, God is knowable. And John comes to his climax here at the end and he says, and all of this finds its answer in this person, the Son of God, Jesus. And for some of you, that's like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I come to church. Of course, you're going to talk about it. For some of you, that's really frustrating. You're like, I had so many big questions. And how do you, what do you mean it's all answered in a person? Like, how does, that make, how does that resonate with the deep pain that I feel in my heart? Where is the connection? And um, that's what John is going to show us now, okay? Verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So deep inside, you can have this, this word, this testimony, this witness. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. God's done all of this to show us something. And some of us still go, yeah, I'd rather look over here for the answers. Thank you. You see, we thought the secret to life, the universe, and everything was going to be something about us. We thought the story of history was going to be about human society. Uh, we thought the most important truth was going to be something like, God loves me, or people are fundamentally okay. But it's not. It's this person, Jesus, the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. That's what is presented to us. How do you feel about that? Like, is it too simple? Is it a bit of an anticlimax? Disappointed? But here's the twist, okay? In Jesus, if we receive him, in him is everything else. We receive Jesus, and maybe like a kid at Christmas who's been looking forward to so much stuff, we feel really disappointed. Oh, is that all? In him is everything. Happiness, peace, freedom from anxiety, purpose, something to live for, something that counts, identity, Settling down in who you are and not having that pain inside, that dislocation of not knowing where I am and where I fit. Feeling at home, security, meaning, actual hope, companionship and the answer to loneliness, an advocate for justice and a changed world. Everything that we really care about, we find it in him. And that's what we see here, verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us 
what John calls here eternal life. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So, the most important thing you need to know about Jesus is that eternal life is in him. Eternal life means, yes, the power of an indestructible life. That actually, one day, we will go through the traumatic exit, death, however that comes upon us, but we'll go through the other side and keep on living. Unscathed. It also means... Real life, life to the full. John writes in another place very famously, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. So this doesn't mean that those who follow Jesus are always happy. How are you? Yes, praise the Lord, brother. Everything's fine. Shut up. Tell me the truth. (laughs) It doesn't mean that those that follow Jesus are always wealthy. It doesn't mean that those who follow Jesus are always sorted far from it. But there is a quality, a depth, a meaningfulness to life in Jesus that is not to be found anywhere else. Life everlasting. So, um, I need a volunteer. Stan. I was looking for a handsome volunteer and then... I couldn't find one, and I chose you. Come. Right. Love you, brother. Okay, so imagine I said to you, I'm going to give you an amazing treasure. Yeah? Like, it's really, really precious to me. It's a family heirloom. um, Been handed down. for I've looked after it. It's really special. And then I just give you that, right? (laughs) And it's like a boring Amazon package. And you're just like, really? Is that really? Like, how do you feel? Surprised. Surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it it lovely? Just brown and sort of square? No, not at all. Not at all. But you see, inside is this wonderful treasure. Oh, look at that, my great-grandmothers. And, 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 but the treasure is in the box, okay? And I've given you the box, and you've got to receive the box, and trust me that the treasure's in the box. You receive it, and then you open the box, and you find the beautiful oh, wow. treasure, and you put, <laughs> wow, and you put it on. Yeah, careful, that's my grandmother's. <laughs> oh. Now you, do, you do need the box. That, oh, doesn't, do that doesn't help the illustration at <laughs> all. If you throw, don't, don't throw it away. Okay. The scripture says this, right? God gave us eternal life, an amazing treasure, but this life is in his son. The life is in Jesus. And whoever has the son, whoever receives Jesus, however 
simple it might seem, however uncomplicated it might seem, however almost banal and childlike it might seem, receive Jesus, whoever receives the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so there's this challenge to everyone. Will you receive Jesus? And if you do, in Him you get the treasure. But if you just look on the surface, it's just someone who had a little life in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away. What relevance has that got to to do with me? Or someone that suffered and called us to do hard things and called us to do things like (gasps) stop choosing your own preferences and love other people and all this difficult stuff. Well done, Stan. That was amazing. And... You're applauding him for standing there. Goodness <laughs> me. My, um, my dad passed away two weeks ago. You've only got one dad. He only dies once. It's a big moment for our family. I'm doing his funeral on Tuesday. And um, I wouldn't let anyone else do it. It's my dad. I'm doing the funeral. But I'd value your prayers. My dad was 91. He had received Christ we feel really... He was very confident as he was dying. He was on his way out, 91. We all had an opportunity to say goodbye. It's a great way to go. Not everyone has that privilege. I appreciate that. Um, On his way out, he was so confident that he had eternal life because he had Jesus. He was almost like lying in his bed holding on to it, like, here I go. There was almost an excitement about him in his kind of aware moments. He wrote us out his plan for his funeral. That's very my dad. No one else is going to plan it. I'm planning it. I want these three hymns. I want these three scripture readings. And then at the bottom he put, keep it joyful, Keith, which is very my dad. And so we we mourn, and it's huge for my mum because they've been married forever. But it's also an incredible testimony to the confidence that we can have. He's, he's not afraid of dying. I have Jesus. I have eternal life, right? In, in, in these passages, John says, I'm writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life. In this passage, he uses this word have a few times. He tells us some things that we have because we have Jesus. He tells us some things that are in the box, Okay. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. So that's a a deep assurance, a sense from the Holy Spirit that these things are true and real. He, He says, whoever has the Son has eternal life. That's incredible. That means somehow you can have Jesus. Obviously, he's not all yours because I've got him too, but... It's a wonderful choice of words here. Whoever has the Son, whoever has Jesus, do you have Jesus? Has eternal life. There's, a, there's like a, a, a confidence, a like, this is mine, no one's taken that from me. He, yeah? But then there's two more haves to come in our last couple of verses here. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. We can have a confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. So he says, we have confidence that when we pray, he hears us. And then he says, and if we know he hears us, then we know we have the things that we prayed for. So that's a great confidence. Like in, in the box is a confidence in prayer and that when you ask God for stuff, the answers are there. That's incredible. Now, sometimes we like to, because we love the idea of it not working for us. It works for everyone else, but not for me. I need to find an exception for myself. We try and read into this verse sort of a little bit of small print, which is, if you ask anything according to his will, um, in other words, if I asked for something and it didn't happen, then maybe it wasn't according to God's will. You know, maybe I didn't get it right. I didn't guess it right. I'm, uh, I'm not actually sure that's how this verse uh, should be read. Matthew Henry, uh, that old commentator 500 years ago, he said this, to know that your petitions are heard or accepted is as good as to know that they are answered. If you have his ear, you have his heart. If you have his heart, you have his hands. You bring your request to God, he will answer. There's a confidence here. There's a simple, it's like That's too simple. Prayer should be more complicated than that. Please make it more complicated. No. It's very childlike. It's very simple. All prayer is the will of God. Okay? Imagine in the sentence, is it on the screen? Imagine putting the comma um, after the word anything. So, if we ask him anything, comma, According to his will, he hears us. So maybe we read the verse wrong and we put it in as like a small print exception condition thing. If you keep praying, you will pray yourself into the will of God eventually. Uh, there are definitely times in the spirit that you pray and then you get up and you think, yeah, God's answered me. I'll start thanking God now. I've given him my request. The answer's there. I haven't seen it yet, but I've asked him. If I've got his ear, I've got his heart. If I've got his heart, I've got his hands. Anyway, the point is, don't make these verses about you. This is part of the testimony of God about Jesus. God says, I've given you Jesus, and in Jesus, I've given you the privilege of prayer and the power of answered prayer. In Christ. It's in the box. In summary, okay, and then we're going to break bread together. How do we bring these verses together? What are they saying to us? The Christian view of the world, history, the meaning of life is ridiculously and maybe disappointingly simple, yet profound. The answer to every question is Jesus. That's amazing because we're not talking about a system, a philosophy, a book, some principles, some mantras, a program. We're talking about a person. And the three things that make us certain of that, the water, the blood, the spirit. His birth, the water, it was messy, traumatic. Why would you come into this world if you didn't have to? Terrible idea. His birth into an unspectacular family, his choice to live in the margins of the world, oppressed by 
the evil Roman Empire, the colonial power, his work in the trade as a carpenter with his hands, identification, solidarity, normalness, embrace of the human condition, his birth. His death, the blood, why would anyone die if they didn't have to? We spend our lives avoiding suffering and he walked straight towards it. The innocent dies for the guilty. He bears our burden of shame. He is tainted with our guilt. We're most terrified of our secret sins becoming public shame. And yet Jesus took our sin and became publicly humiliated on our behalf. And the Spirit, the outpouring of God himself as Spirit, so all people in all places at all times can know him without any barrier of language or culture or geography, class or caste. The Spirit who levels the playing field, who's given freely to all to be with us, live in us, empower us, and unite us. So what are these three voices telling us, each in their own way? That in him is eternal life, that whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And so there's a question, do you have the Son? Have you received Jesus? And friends, the answer to everything is a person, and his name is Jesus.